dann liegt das anständig. Any, any topic, any topic. Maharaj, can I? You know, Maharaj, you. What? One second. Can I use that also on top, yes. so to give a little more like? Thank you. Oops. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that's it. Because not the camera is like here and. Yeah, Jonathan. So in the previous um, lecture, you briefly mentioned at the end that um, you said there are forms of um, sexuality that can be. I don't remember exactly how you term it. Integrated in mm -hmm. the spiritual path if it's mm -hmm. done in, the, in a certain mindset. Mm. And my question is, I've heard many times on many mystical paths that usually sexuality leads to some stagnation mm -hmm. um, on the progress of the progress of the soul. So maybe could you say something about it? Yes. <clears throat> More light. <laughs> the, he's translating. So I briefly repeat the question in case those who are listening here didn't get to hear Jonathan's question. But basically today in the morning we mentioned about how how everything can be made part of bhakti. And in that context, we mentioned sexuality. So Jonathan is mentioning that he heard that in many traditions it is said that sexuality seems to get in the way of spiritual progress. So in which way, if I can elaborate more, in which sense can sexuality be made part of bhakti? So of course, that's a, it's a big topic and I think an important one, because as we mentioned in the morning, sometimes these topics become taboo in certain groups or societies, whether in our community or in others. Uh, and whatever is taboo, it's why is taboo, <laughs> basically. The question not so much, that's taboo, but why something is taboo? Why we don't have the, the capacity of talking about any topic in an open, healthy way? And I will say sexuality is not like a marginal topic that well, almost nobody knows what that is and nobody's engaging in that, so no need to talk of that. I mean, if it wouldn't be for sexuality, none of us will be here in this room today, basically. <laughs> you know? We are the result of a sexual union, so to say. So, so we, I, I'm starting to say that in the sense that sometimes we stigmatize sexuality. If, if sexuality is ontologically bad, why does it exist to begin with? <laughs> um, and I'm saying this also in our particular tradition, and, uh, and some things I will say, of course, will be my own personal opinion. You are free to disagree with me. It's part of healthy conversation to be able to disagree and still love each other. <laughs> yeah, because if only we love each other when we agree on everything, that's very strange. Yeah. I only love you if you agree with everything I say and think. It's like, 
that's not very loving no because the very first moment we have a difference it's the end of the world basically no? so there is there should be place for these conversations even at the risk of oh i may disagree with maharaj and it's okay i mean i'm, I'm not i will not be condemning you if you have a different opinion than mine uh, but hopefully my own opinion is also based on on Shastra, it's not my opinion in a completely independent way. So where to begin? Mm. I could begin saying that I, I personally feel that in many traditions, including ours, there is an overemphasis on asceticism. Oh, sorry? Asceticism, like, like over-renunciation. No? Like many times I've seen that people think that if you are a monk, that people think that if you are a monk, you are more advanced than if you are not a monk. But where does in Shastra say that? So sometimes some there may be some cultural things in between, whatever. I'm not here addressing it as a research. <laughs> Why this happening? Radha Mada made and wrote an interesting article recently in that connection. Radha Mada probably regarding the Brahmins and the Shramans and some cultural historical factors that somehow led to certain emphasis. And to nowadays, especially in India, if, to, in general, to think that if you are a renunciant, you are more advanced that you are not a renunciant. Yeah. yeah. So it's Sirland Radhakum. <laughs> so we can, I can share the link if you want later. Uh, I have, we had a podcast with him, actually. I, I have a podcast that I began three months ago, and I began it with him. And the first episode with him was, I don't remember the exact title, but some, something like Integrating Sexuality in a Healthy Way or something. Because he had a daily recently, so it's an actual topic for him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in, in one way or another, it should be a topic for everyone. I'm not planning to have a baby, but it's an, a topic for me as well. Because as I would like to share, sexuality is not limited to the physical act. Mm -hmm. So this more has to do with an energy that all of us has and have to, we need to know what to do with that, <laughs> whether we are married or monks. You know? so, but I, I like to emphasize that beginning point that sometimes there is an overemphasis on renunciation. So whatever has to do with something different from renunciation is generally seen as inferior. But that's not our path. Our path is not jnan, it's not vairagya, our path is bhakti. And the very definition of bhakti that Rupa Goswami gives, that we share today in the morning, say jnana karma adi anavritam. Jnana karma adi, the adi is explained by Jiva Goswami, Vishwanathakurthakur, including vairagya and all these notions of renunciation is higher. But Rupa Goswami says anavritam, you have to be free from those ideas. <laughs> I mean, we care for bhakti, and therefore we care for the renunciation that comes as a byproduct of bhakti. That's not the same. Basudev bhagavati bhakti yoga payoyita janayati asu bhairagyam janam to come. Bhakti brings its own detachment as a byproduct. It's not that we look for detachment first and then bhakti. That's not the that's gyan misra bhakti, some form of misra bhakti. No? And interestingly, bhairagya, renunciation, actually means by, by has to be shista, by shistya, 
ragya comes from rag. Rag means attachment. And by means a very special type of. So by ragya means a very special type of attachment. But generally we translate the word as detachment. <laughs> Implying you can only be detached if you are specially attached. No? Krishna says the same in the Gita, no? Param Drishtanivartante, when he speaks about higher taste. You can only renounce a lower taste, but first tasting a higher taste. Then you can leave the other thing. So there are quotes in the Bhagavatam, and I won't torture you with quotes today. <laughs> I already did a little bit in the morning, and I will be doing these days. <laughs> but there are many quotes in the Bhagavatam where say you can attain full perfection from household life. <clears throat> Because sometimes I've seen the both thinking, at some point I need to renounce my health, my family life to become a sannyasi, and only then. So you are giving more importance to born ashram consideration than to bhakti. So your bhakti conception gets mixed. It's not uttam pseudo bhakti. And as I like to say to the devotees, like joking, but being serious at the same time, <laughs> not only we can attain perfection from family life, from the from household life, but the ultimate perfection in Golok won't be as a monk. No, I won't. I won't be a sannyasi in Golok Vrindavan. No? Follow my point. Nityanavadip, I won't be a sannyasi either. So be better I don't get too attached to this saffron cloth, basically. <laughs> so. So the, the, in, in Golok Vrindavan, basically everyone is living in their house with their families in some way or another. So we have to be careful not to develop some scar, anti-family some scars, so to say. Mm. Also, I will say that some idea that, and I'm getting gradually to the point of sexuality, but another point that makes us think of sexuality and necessarily bad is that we think that the body is bad because we think that material energy is bad. Sometimes this like sequence, whatever is material is bad. So the body is bad, sexuality is bad, this world is bad. And yes, there are statements in Shastra that speaks like in trying to awaken spirit of detachment for those who are extremely attached to exploit nature but for those who learn to relate to material nature in the proper way, there's no need to speak about material nature in that way. For example, Krishna says in the Gita, material world is an abode of misery and temporary. So it doesn't sound like too, hey, great. <laughs> But he's speaking to a certain type of person in a certain situation. Then you have Prabhupada Saraswati saying Vishwampurna Sukhayate. So how you accommodate that? Vishwampurna Sukhayate means the whole universe is an abode of joy. I said, but Krishna said it was full of misery. <laughs> no? So again, there are different statements made for different people according to the particular situation they're in. No? Like, this world is bad. It's something like I don't know. The example I give in my book in this connection, the child wants to put a finger on the plug. Uh, and the plug is a little broken and it's doing like zzz, 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 so the child is like attracted, curious about what does it mean to get electrocuted. You know? And he, so he goes and puts his hand in water 
So it's even more exciting. <laughs> and he's looking at the hole and she's like pointing. And the mother is seeing that and saying, that won't be good for you. So she cannot explain to him very much in technical detail why she shouldn't put the finger. Because the more she says that, the more the child will be tempted to do that. <laughs> so she has to employ another language. She will say, there is a monster inside there. So if you put the finger there, the plug is bad. It will swallow you. And the kid will be like paralyzed. But she saved his life. <laughs> it was just like an emergency in that moment. Eventually, the child will learn the details. And the mother won't be need to talk in that way. So in the same way, we find some statements in Shastra to that effect. Krishna knows we want to do our mischieving connection to material nature, so he may say, like, that's miserable. That's this, that's, that's like to throw, he throws us as thunderbolts or something, like, to stop us. But if you have a proper eye to see, and you realize this is an energy of Bhagavan. Now, Bishwanachakarata comments in one verse on the Bhagavatam, it's a very, very nice verse in second, second canto, yeah? Where it is said that, Bhagavatam is recommending that you meditate on, on how Bhagavan deals with material energy. And by doing that, you get free from all illusion. <laughs> and Vishwanath Chakravartakul comments, material energy is a devotee with the highest devotion. Maya Shakti is a Vaishnavi. So if you say matter is crap, you are committing Vaishnavi Aparat. And I think we know that apparat is not very interesting, very nice. <laughs> so again, I'm saying this because these ideas of rejecting the body, rejecting sexuality, rejecting family life, many times it's rooted in rejecting the world. But the goal of our life is not moksha. That's an important point. We are not here trying to get leave this world. Because if the goal of your practice is to live samsara, then you have made of your goal mukti or moksha. According to our tradition, that's kaita of dharma. That's cheating in the name of religion. You're cheating yourself in the name of religion. <laughs> our goal is prem. And prem means those who are the, the fully dedicated to Bhagavan, they do not care for Swarga, Apavarga, Narak, for going to heavenly planets. They, it's the same for them. They, they do not care. They do not care going to hell. They do not, they do not care for Apavarga, which means liberation, Mukti, Moksha. They don't care because they are practicing bhakti. Bhakti is sadhana and bhakti is sadhya. So we do bhakti so we can do more bhakti. <laughs> That's basically our tradition. Our tradition is you are already doing that thing that you will be doing in eternity. We want we are doing bhakti and our goal is to do bhakti. Sadhana bhava prem, but bhakti bhakti bhakti. Sana bhakti prem bhava bhakti prem bhakti. So bhakti is always there. It's not just now and when I reach the goal, oof, I can take some vacation from bhakti. That happens in every other practice. Those who practice karma, they do so many pen penance to attain swarga. So they 
they deprive themselves from so many things here so they can enjoy fully in heaven. <laughs> so the closer they get to their goal, the more they abandon their practice. <laughs> in Jnana, the same. They engage in certain practice, the more they reach to Brahma Sayuja, the more they abandon their practice. In Bhakti, you practice Bhakti. The more you get closer to your goal, the more you practice Bhakti. <laughs> so it's very different. <laughs> so I'm saying these things for us to understand which should be the ideal orientation. No, we don't we are our goal is Prem, and Prem doesn't care for Mukti, Moksha Laguta Grit. So I'm not practicing to get to go somewhere else in one sense. <laughs> I'm practicing to love Krishna. You can love Krishna anywhere. If you want to take the point further, and then I go to your question. <laughs> Shilaji Goswami describes in Krishna Sandarva how Bhagavan executes his lila on earth. And when he ends one lila on earth, he immediately starts on another planet earth, his lila, and so on and so forth. In other words, Krishna is always on planet earth, executing his lila. <laughs> and if we want to accompany him in his lila, including his lila on earth, we'll be accompanying him on earth perpetually. So better you make peace with earth. <laughs> and with matter and the material world and the material world because again if you have the proper perspective there is no more material world technically speaking you will see krishna everywhere scriptures say there is an, an aspect of god that is residing in every atom so how bad can be this world <laughs> every atom is an embassy of the supreme lord <laughs> of course we don't have the ecstasy but the more we develop the proper vision and that's interesting because that's what the scripture says how scripture this, this describe the level of advancement of different practitioners in terms of how much they are able to perceive god's presence no kanishta bhakta the beginner will see krishna in the altar probably only in his altar <laughs> they may see on their altar oh Krishna is not so present here in my altar he was not present no, little sectarian yet <laughs> Kanishta Bhakta sees Krishna only in the altar Madhyam Bhakta intermediate devotee sees Krishna in other living beings devotee, non-devotee and so on, innocent and so on Uttam Bhakta sees Krishna everywhere so it's interesting they are describing the different adhikars according to how much you see God everywhere or not everywhere, depending on the case. So my point is when you understand everything, ultimately everything is sacred. Matter is not profane. <laughs> no. We are desecrating matter with our wrong vision. But matter is sacred. <laughs> it's, an, it's a Shakti of Bhagavan that is engaged in his service. Probably better, more engaged in Krishna's service than what we are, how much we are engaged in Krishna's service. Remember, Vishwanath said material energy is the devotee of the highest devotion. I'm not that. <laughs> so I had to relate to matter as a senior Vaishnavi. Really? <laughs> so again, it's, a, it's, it's all about which perspective do we have, which sambanda do we have to relate to all the things. So that said, Regarding sexuality, uh, I personally, of course, we have different versions, different ideas that sexuality is 
uh, only for procreation. And if this is not procreation, sometimes that's called, uh, how do you call Illicit. That's a heavy word. <laughs> and, I've, and, and I know many devotees who have been too completely traumatized by that and discouraged and even leaving the practice altogether because they feel I'm con I, I, I cannot avoid illicit stuff yet. So every time they engage in some form of sexuality, they feel I'm failing, I'm going against Krishna, I'm an aparadi. I mean, I've seen delicate cases of neurosis present there. And with this, I'm not here trying to make it like and Tantra Yoga Kijai and do whatever you like. I mean, <laughs> just in case I'm clarifying. <laughs> I mean, I'm a sannyasi. I, I'm okay with my vows. I don't plan to do any weird things. And this is the prelude for that. So I'm just somehow justified. <laughs> and I've been talking about this for years. So it's, it's, it's something that I personally, I personally feel that sexual relationships uh, in the case of those who are not monks on a physical level can be done in the context of a committed relationship even when sometimes it's not for the purpose of procreation it may be a necessity for human connection and intimacy uh, and growth in, 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 in that particular uh, couple so to say and, and that's mentioned by Bhaktivinoda Thakur it's not Padmanabhaswami's Creation. You go to Bhaktivinoda Thakur's commentary on, on the first four verses of Upadipashambrita, Bhaktialog, that's the name. When he's talking about, well, I don't recall which verse, I can let you know later. But he's making the point, he speaks about Brahmacharya. He said Brahmacharya means you have sexual interaction in a committed relationship, basically, with your wife, with your husband. Like he's put in that perimeter, of course, not having sexual relation with anyone and everyone at any moment. We are not suggesting that. But there is a place to express that particular energy in a committed relationship. And again, I, there are ways, and I'm saying this quickly because I've heard the both saying, but sexual relationship is just the last that exploitative self is enjoyment. That's not necessarily always the case. I mean, there is place for sexual connection from a place of emotional intimacy and and deep vulnerability as we were talking today i mean in sexual relationship you are not only you, you ideally should be naked not only physically but internally and most people are terrified about that and, and that's why many people prefer just to ban the whole thing as hellish because to to really enter into the implications of cultivating emotional intimacy I mean, you have to develop intimacy with your emotions. I'm not saying, again, this is the goal of life. It's the same as Krishna Prem. But to be a healthy human sadhaka, you cannot put your emotions under the rough and just say, oh, that's mundane and I'm just for the transcendental. Good luck. <laughs> so anyhow, so in that sense, I will say if a bhakta or if a couple of bhaktas are committed in their practice, are committed in their relationship to one another, and their expression of sexuality is a form of cultivating emotional intimacy and proper vulnerability and balancing their human nature, that can be considered an aspect of their bhakti project because that's helping them to remain vulnerable, to connect 
deeply with someone in a healthy way, committed way, all those things are somehow favorable for bhakti. And again, please understand, I'm not here saying just have sexual life in a wild way or anything like that. I'm saying this because our mind sometimes thinks about things in black and white terms sometimes. No? Like sannyas, illicit sex or something like that, no? extremes. But there are so much nuance in between. And, and as I say before, as a monastic, for example, in my case, because I remember I was in Colombia talking about this, like, I don't know, a few months ago. <laughs> uh, and I was talking about sexuality as, as, as an energy, sometimes called Kriya Shakti or creative energy. So someone was, one lady was a little shy, but she had to ask the question and she told me, so what do you do, Maharaj, with your Kriya Shakti? <laughs> no, how do you express your sexuality, basically? Again, don't limit sexuality to a physical act. No? So she was curious about how was I not going crazy as a sannyasi, basically. <laughs> so I mentioned that point that for sexual energy or sexuality has to do with what I mentioned, like intimacy, vulnerability, nakedness in an internal sense, creativity, mm, uh, and so on. So all the things I have to culture myself as a monk. I have to be vulnerable. I have to culture intimate relationships, which intimate doesn't mean sexual physically. I mean, just to have, interestingly, in, Sans in Sanskrit, the word for sexual activity and intimate association is the same, it's Sangha. <laughs> Sangha means intimate association and refers one form of intimate association is sexual interaction, but there are so many other forms of intimate association when you are ideally equally naked internally, equally vulnerable, equally opening to one another, equally emotionally exposed as we talked in the morning. So with this, my point is ideally none of us should have an excuse to skip one or other of those forms all of us should go through a form of healthy expression of the sexual energy in the form of again cultivating intimacy with our emotions being health exposed in a healthy way in a vulnerable way <clears throat> and i will say that this type of approach which for me is more commonsensical and human helps way more to balance even the physical sexuality than if you are just condemning yourself and this is the only legal way, everything else is illicit and so many forms of repression and degradation and abuse end up, end up happening in the background. Hmm? Or pornography or abuse or so many things because you are not able to acknowledge things in a, in a more natural way. And I'm talking on the basis of knowing so many situations, the struggles of, of devotees who are very nice, very sincere, but they are struggling with how to express this in a, in a sustainable way. <laughs> and when they cannot, sometimes they think, oh, there's no place for me in Krishna Bhakti. And they leave. <laughs> so that's heartbreaking, basically. That's not the idea. So we should be willing to to accommodate everyone, and that doesn't mean we are just like creating our own siddhanta and going against everything. I mean, there's place for being flexible and considerate and human, 
in every single case. No? Anyhow, some initial thoughts. I hope you. I don't hope you agree with me. I hope at least it's clear what I'm saying, whether you agree or not. <laughs> and again, this is a sannyasi telling that to you. <laughs> so I hope that creates some better impact. No, again, so. Because again, if I only overemphasize celibacy and these type of things, that can be a problem because people may get the idea that only when I do that, I'm legal or I'm more advanced. But that's not necessarily the case. Of course, if you express your sexuality in a, in a normal, commonsensical way, as I think it is for me, in certain period of your life, in time, eventually, that won't be an issue, so to say. You will be concerned with other things. So that this is not extending for eternity, so to say, certain certain part of one's life. Uh, and again, if one is not expressing it in one way, physically, okay, in another way then. Because you can be a monk and be completely dysfunctional and evasive. <laughs> not being expressing your human emotions in a proper way and, and using the monastery as an escape device, not to face your humanity, not to face your unresolved human issues. And I've seen few of those cases and i'm not condemning them i mean there are sincere people but just they they don't have a guidance of what to do they think okay this this means to be a monastic and you end up being like a total fanatical and evasive and inhuman at one point because if you don't address your humanity you end up prop being inhuman in many cases so some of these words are also with a preventive spirit no like Let's try to take this in consideration so these other things do not happen <laughs> that have already happened in every in many traditions. <laughs> and as we as was talking, I was talking today, I think, with Arjun earlier, also let's normalize the monks also. I mean, I, I'm a monk, but I'm that I'm a monk doesn't mean that I'm a superhero or something like that. No. Because sometimes you put the monks on a like on a very forced superficial pedestal, and somehow they buy into that, and they start to play in, the, in that character, and they get the message: okay, I have to be perfect at every moment. I cannot show imperfection. I cannot show struggle. I cannot show problems because I'm supposed to be the savior of the community or whatever. <laughs> and that's so that creates such a pressure for the monastic. They cannot be human anymore, basically. <laughs> they have to be superheroes. But our goal is not to be devotional superheroes, to be devotional human being. Well, anyhow, I may get a little passionate on this topic. I like to talk about that sometime a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. I hope that helps, Jonathan. Any follow-up question or related or any other question? Yes. Um, I have a question. It's a little bit related. But yes. Uh, it's about uh, the love that we feel. For a little bit. My Sorry. question is about the love that we feel for people in our life, mm -hmm. uh, not uh, because uh, we do bhakti, so we cultivate the love for Krishna. 
but uh, in our life we get to also love uh, different people like our family or, or partners some some other people mm -hmm. and sometimes um, I don't I don't know I have the feeling that we should be the professional of love you know because we should we, be we choose the practice so we should uh, um, we should uh, try to love in the best way the people around us mm -hmm. Um, but this is my question: That uh, uh, how do you relate the, the normal love for people in life to also the active uh, link? Or? Mm -hmm. So what we will say basically: If you need to add something, you just enter into the stage. <laughs> But our particular orientation will be, of course, love for for God is the the root of all existence. The scripture gives the example of um, watering the root. You know, like if you water the root of a plant, all the leaves and all the aspects will be nourished. Of course, this doesn't mean, because also these examples can be understood in a dangerous way no, like i'm watering the root so i don't need to care for anything else because the root is attended so everything else plays out automatically so i don't need to be kind to anyone because i'm loving krishna <laughs> but the point is that immediately the result is if you are loving krishna means you are you have to be loving everything and everyone because everything and everyone is connected to krishna that's a very one name of krishna is mukya sambanda so Mukya Sambanda means Krishna is he with in relation to whom everyone and everything has its primary relationship. So everyone and everything, just to not limit to the everyone, but everything, <laughs> every atom, their primary connection is with Krishna. So if I love Krishna, naturally I will love everything else because everything else has a connection with him. So that's pretty challenging. <laughs> you follow and the beginning is again the, the, the vision of the beginner is I love Krishna but they don't relate very nicely to anyone else so technically speaking they don't love Krishna <laughs> they, they, they start to serve Krishna on some level but again the word love what's the meaning of love that's another discussion altogether because we can say love but what do we mean by that what do we understand by that we have love, prem, divine love developments of love other expressions of love without prem. So that's a big discussion. But in brief, I will say that the idea is the more I love Krishna, the more I have to love everything else because nothing is disconnected from him. Uh, so any relationship we have with other people, ideally, is to for us to be protected from selfish exploitation because that also can happen i can just love other people and actually i'm not loving them at all i'm just using them for my own existential hole that i need to feel i have a hole of this size and i i see people having this size also oh they have the exact same size of my existential hole so i love you but sometimes it's not very loving. There's no empathy. There's no willingness to sacrifice, to understand the person, to, to love. Love means I open myself to the other person and we are both transformed. 
many times we are not willing to be transformed at all by anything. <laughs> but we say, I love you. <laughs> so, so, but the point is, we can relate to everyone, burning mind, Krishna's in everyone's heart. That's one of the classical meditations in the Bhagavatam given. The Bhagavatam will say, Krishna's in everyone's heart. And it goes to extremes. It will say, if you see a dog, you should fall to the ground in Dandava to that dog, acknowledging God is in the heart of that dog. Of course, it may not be practical to do that on a very thing, daily basis. Even ants. Ant? Well, that's even more difficult. <laughs> you may kill them while doing that. So what? <laughs> so you have these verses also. So it's important to put all that in consideration. No? Like in every ant, God is residing. So you should love the ant in consideration. We should love all of us in consideration of what we have in common in the deepest way, which is love. God, God is in, in our hearts. What, what, what can be a more beautiful thing in common? And sometimes we, we, we meet someone and say, oh, I think I fell in love because we have this in common. Both of us like the same food or the same rock band or whatever. <laughs> I don't want to condemn that, but my point is there's something more deep in common. Oh, we have both Krishna in the heart. God is in our heart. So. And that coincidence happens in every direction, basically, not only limited to another person. So from that place, we can have very loving relationship with everyone. You know? And I've seen many cases of devotees who while practicing properly and, and they will tell me my relationship with my parents or with my friends, whatever, has really raised to another level now because now I'm relating to them from a more, uh, how to say, yeah, we're healthy perspective. Not just seeing them in connection to which purpose they have to, for me. No, I, I'm not the, the final converging point in the relationship. <laughs> But I see what we share in common, and so, so something like that. I will say in connection to your question. I don't know if that helps in something. Hmm. So we will be, we will in that from that place. We will be again relating to everything, everyone, and everything with veneration. I mean, that's when Mahaprabhu is giving these examples. Now he's looking at the grass, and it's like, wow, Jai Guru Dev. He's finding a guru in the grass. He's looking at the tree. Wow. <laughs> so my, uh, he's not, and he's not looking at any special tree which has some particular form. It's the same tree we had around our corner, <laughs> but he had the eyes to see. Yeah. Chanti. Yeah, to what you just said, to um, having loving relationship to everyone. I mean, even dogs and ants. Um, every time I, I read like in, in books from our library <laughs> it triggers me the, it even it's not even yeah that's it in a slang way don't hang around with anyone who's not a Vaishnava it's almost even considered Aparada I know Krishna Chandra said no it doesn't mean it's not the person it's just we don't um, connect with the qualities of those people, but how is it possible to have a loving relationship if you don't fully accept that person how it 
how that person is at that stage if he's not a Vaishnava and he has qualities that are not good. But it always triggers me because it always seems like it's like this club thinking, oh, those people are part of the club. The ones who are not part of the club, yeah, don't just avoid these people. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's really written in an extreme way that is yeah, painful for me because I don't want to deny, as you just said, my parents or old friends. And even if they, I mean, I know people who don't even believe in God and then they said, but it doesn't even matter if they're nice people, if they don't, you know, don't have a relationship with Bhakti, you shouldn't hang out with them, some people say in an extreme way. And for me, this is sometimes still difficult to like, say, okay, well, just exclude them out of like, totally agree. For me, it's equally difficult. <laughs> difficult in the sense that I, I don't, I don't see it like that. So, yes, as you mentioned, we have these statements in Shastra. But also, again, you, we have so many other statements in terms of compassion and empathy. And so, it's important every time we find some line in the scripture that seems like off, so to say. We have them to, to understand Shastra in context. And that's what Vedanta Sutra says. No? It says, Atato Brahma Jignasa, Janmadiya Syajata, Shastra Jonitvat, Tattu Samambayat. So you have to inquire into the Absolute. The Absolute is He from whom everything comes, so to say. And we can know about the, the, the womb through which knowledge of the Absolute comes is Shastra, but Tattu Saman Bayad. We have to address Shastra. We have to understand the scripture in context. We have to learn to reconcile statements. So my point is, in some verse you can read, associating with that people is, he is worse than hell, and some graphic language that seems like, wow. Oh. <laughs> But then you will find some other verses who are like, no, extremely inviting us to be compassionate and non-discriminating. When we hear about the campaign of Mahaprabhu, I mean, he was no no filter. No, it was in every possible direction, and we are supposed to represent him. So, how to put those things together and harmonize them? So, yeah, basically what Krishna Chandra mentioned, it's not so much about, as they say in the Bible, not don't hate the sinner, but hate the sin. No? It's not about hating anything, but <laughs> the language, you know, the, the, the idea is in certain stage, some people is more susceptible to be influenced and confused. And in some other stages, no. Some other stages, some people is... By their very presence, everyone else is converted. That's mentioned in Shastra. Of course, we may not be that person. I'm not. <laughs> so in that sense, we may be prevented. Okay, don't go to the brothels and bars like Nityananda Prabhu did. You may you may not be able to convert them all by your mere presence. No. <laughs> to give an extreme example, no? he can do it. We cannot. So that's a warning. It's not It's not a warning. Don't be compassionate. It's just see which capacity you have to be compassionate. Because if you go to the bar and you end up drunk, thrown in the floor, 
you are not being compassionate. <laughs> so situate yourself in a situation that you can still be compassionate. If you can go to the brothel and the bar and be fully compassionate to everyone, go to the brothel and the bar. Now, if you realize, no, I'll probably I will be tempted and I will like, last thing I will do is be compassionate. So then the scripture will say, don't go there. And you may use even a strong language. But the intention is not condemn people and label them. And as you mentioned, create some elite club. We are the saved ones. We are the bhaktas. They are the karmis no? or the non-devotees. I've heard those expressions. I don't like them. <laughs> because what? Or, or, or we have to redefine them. No? Karmi means you are still entangled in fruitive action. Raise your hand if you are totally free from that. <laughs> so there is still some karmi por portion in us. No? Non-devotees. What does it mean, non-devotees? I'm fully a devotee. There's a non-devotee part in me still. Yeah. So first I have to point to my non-devotees. So no? You may say non-Gaudiya practitioners. That's more specific. But non-devotee, St. Francis is a non-devotee. Because he's not a Gaudiya Vaishnava? Man, come on. <laughs> I think it's amazing how quickly that creeps in to your consciousness by using a certain type of language. Or yeah, totally. That's I, that's why many times I tell the boat, we need to redefine our glossary. Maybe not change the words, but recalibrate the, what do we understand by each of those words, you know, like karmi, non-devotee, whatever. There are so many. No? You tell me, and there are so many. So we need to really relate to those terms in a way that is realistic and healthy. Uh, so so basically, that's that's the idea. No? The idea is to be compassionate. The idea is to, as I mentioned in my book, all of this may sound like a Christian Doctrine, that's also in our tradition, and the idea is God is loving everyone unconditionally. That's also there. There are so many verses in the Bhagavad Gita which describe Krishna as the friend of every single soul, the best well-wishing, the soul of every soul, the, the lover of everyone. Of course, I'm not saying there's at that point a reciprocal relationship in Prem. I'm not saying that, but there is an unconditional love that God has for everyone. So how do you relate with everyone on the basis of that? <laughs> Even if the person is, I don't know, the worst, more, most degraded personality on Zurich, so to say. <laughs> Still in principle, you know, Krishna is loving that person unconditionally because that means unconditional. Unconditional means I don't care if you deserve it or not. I don't care if you are a mess or not. I love you. So... Of course, that's also applicable to us. Krishna's loving us unconditionally, and that feels nice, and it is. But we immediately should think, but he's equally loving everyone else unconditionally. And I should treat everyone else bearing that in mind. Every time I relate to anything and everyone, I should remember, this person is being loved unconditionally by Krishna. How much I am honoring that. In relating to that person. So that's in Shastra again. No?
<laughs> so that's the actual thing. And, and when there are this strong language in scripture about preventing us from something, also we have to understand there's a certain way of saying things in, in our tradition in that time, at that time, certain language, certain graphical examples, trying to prevent, trying to show uh, what I mentioned already. You know, but it's not about being like how to say having prejudice and labeling people you are unworthy, you are whatever. I will be like polluted by your company. <laughs> now, more mostly, it's more about my own lack of capacity to relate to others without getting confused. It's not about them confusing me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Because that's a very easy way of not taking responsibility. Now, I won't associate with them because they are so degraded that they will pollute me so much. No, no. Is that I am still immature and I don't have the capacity to be compassionate with them without me degrading myself. <laughs> you have to take all responsibility yourself. Don't put that on, on someone else's degradation or something. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. What do you think, Krishna? For me, it's a natural expression. Yeah. You know, to <clears throat> and the fascination of the soul is coming. One starts to see other beings on a path, naturally going home. And this is the main thing. And like in our <clears throat> own being we see there is some um, ideas and mental stuff and emo emotions but i mainly see i'm this soul going home mm -hmm. so if one is seeing this in every being so naturally you know there is some dust like we had some on the book here if you buy some books in an underdarm, <laughs> there's always some dust. But it's not a question that the book is anything. You just, and I think this is a very natural uh, way, because, <clears throat> um, like you said, we start to see the main relation of each and every soul is Radha and Krishna, and. It's not just loving him, but also love that what is in connection to him. Yeah. So, and this is everything. And <laughs> yeah, that's a very important point. If I love someone, I love whatever that, whatever is in connection to that someone. You follow? Like, if you are totally in love, madly in love with someone, if that person likes apples, and you don't like apples, but now you like apples. Because the person you love loves apples, so some, somehow or other. So whatever, if you love Krishna, whatever is in relationship to him, you will love. And it happens that everything is in relationship to him. <laughs> so we have no excuse to not love something. That That's the, the beauty and the challenge of love. Because again, I cannot say, Krishna love you so much, but immediately the echo, the echo will come saying, and what about everything else that is in connection to me? And that's how I actually will demonstrate that I'm actually loving him. Because if I say I love you, but I treat everyone else terribly, Krishna will say, come on, don't cheat yourself. 
you love me, you will actually realize I'm connected to everything. So you will be in love with creation, with every atom, with every ant, and so on. <laughs> Intoxicated, no? like the different mystics. So love is a big challenge, as you can see. It's a beautiful demand, but it's, it's the most comprehensive and more integral way of relating with everything and everyone. Yeah. Because if we enter into this labeling and these are good, these are bad, I mean, where, where, com where compassion remains? I mean, in which way you will express compassion then? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know that. instruction to Raghunath Goswami, even at the end of his life, he said, if you start to see the world, Dvaita, mm. in a duality and say, this is Badra, this auspicious. is auspicious, and this is Abhadra, mm -hmm. this Gyan. <clears throat> if you have this mentality, Sabo Manodam, this is all an mm. empty thing in yourself. And a fala a manda. If you say these are good things in this yeah. world, is because you look from the conditioned side yourself, and then you see the things, and you don't see from the unconditional perspective. Non-dual perspective. Yeah, that's why this perspective of cutting the world, you know, into yeah, yeah. my little uh, apartments, compartments. Mahaprabhu is saying, "A sava brahm, all is a mistake." Yeah. You start this. Indian culture is very deeply um, uh, infused by this suspicious, inauspicious. Yeah, but one has to come above. Siddha yoga Even to yoga is going beyond this. Sometimes there's cultural stuff around. Mm -hmm. Lots of it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Can I speak Deutsch? Yeah. And zwar wurde ja gestern kurz besprochen, dass in Krishna, je nachdem wie der Devotee auf einen auf ihn zugeht, er die Form wechselt. Also bei Hanuman könnte er niemals Krishna bleiben. Da wird Ram da sein. So it's about the Krishna takes the form according to the devotee's love. In Hanuman's case, he, he will be at naturally Rama, not Krishna. Und jetzt frage ich mich, wenn Krishna die Form annimmt, so wie der Devotee fühlt für ihn, ist wie, hier wird in diesem Gaudiamat-System, wird er trotzdem gelehrt, hey, Krishna ist, ist der Höchste, den man wirklich and in the whole Gaudiamat system around, still they teach that Krishna is the supreme, that everyone should worship him. Und selbst in diesem System ist ja dann okay, hey, wenn du aber nur Freundschaftsliebe zu Krishna hast, ist okay, und wenn du elterliche Liebe hast, ist es auch okay, aber hey, wenn du manche die Waffe hast, das ist das Ding. And it's, you know, it's accepted if you have some... I don't know German, but it sounded heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay when you have a friendship relationship and it's also tolerated if we have um, elderly love but parental love but really it's about manjaribhav everything so the question is so my question is is 
es da wirklich eine Hierarchie, die, die mich schmerzen würde, aber die ich dann vielleicht irgendwie schlucken muss? Oder ist es wie, wenn eine Mutter sagt, oh, mein Kind ist das Allerschönste und die Mutter daneben sagt, sorry, nee, meins ist das Schönste. So is it really a hierarchy that would be a little pain in my heart? Or is it like that a mother completely in love with his own child has actually, my child is the most beautiful, just by overwhelmed by the, her own love mm. or the most beautiful. Yeah, thank you for your question. <clears throat> I, I address one part of your question in, in my first book, I recall one term that I used there, <laughs> the came term like racism. <laughs> to be racist in the context of rasa, not racism, racism. No, to think this Ross is the best, the superior, and whoever is not there is like outcast, basically. No? So I like to call it racism. <laughs> uh, so actually in our tradition is very, I mean, you will always find practitioners saying so many things. No? I'm saying this because you and many other questions many times is like, I've heard that someone told me, I've seen, and I'm sure that's true, but that doesn't mean that that's the actual teaching. No. <laughs> or sometimes you, we saw something which was saying a certain way to a certain person, in a certain context was very specific, but the actual teaching is very broad. Uh, so my point is, we could talk in terms of objective and subjective. No, so objectively speaking, there is a certain experience of rasa that we will have with Krishna that is not present in other forms of Bhagavan, which has to do with a certain degree of sweetness. But not everyone likes sweet too that much. <laughs> <laughs> Follow. You may ask me, who is the sweetest form of the absolute, objectively measuring in with a thermometer of rasa? I would say Krishna, from Mahaprabhu, which is no difference. So, okay, but my point is, but nobody, but some people may not like that such a degree of sweetness. It's like if you ask me, what's the sweetest fruit on, on available in the market? Mango. And some may say. Yeah, but I don't like mango. It's not my favorite fruit. Okay. You like sweet, but not that much, so to say. And that will be perfect for you. Subjectively speaking, that's your perfection. That's not inferior. Now, we have to be careful not to think and express in terms of better words. Again, like Krishna Chandra was saying, you know, inferior, higher. Because we, we project our dualistic mind into the non-dual Real. Remember, we have to always remember the absolute is non-dual. Abhayyan tattva, famous verse in the Bhagavatam. Badanti tattva vidas tattvam jatyana madvayam brahmeti paramadmeti bhagavaniti shabdite. Whole sandharvas of Jiva Goswami are an explanation of that verse. <laughs> and in that line, in one line, the verse says Abhayyan tattva. The absolute is non-dual consciousness. So we watch out to start to enter and analyze, oh, this is inferior, this is lower, this is better, this is worse in terms of different facets of the absolute. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So in Tattva Vichar, that's what, for example, we have also Rasa Vichar and Tattva Vichar. Vichar means consideration. Tattva means, sorry for so many fancy, complex Sanskrit tough terms. <laughs> rasa means like, how to translate Rasa? That's a, comp that's a problem. <laughs> Aesthetic, sacred rapture. I like that one, but it may be too much. Sacred rapture. You can say mellow, but again, what idea do we have of that? Anyhow, and, and tattva means metaphysical truth, and bichar means consideration. So from tattva bichar, from the metaphysical considerations, all forms of God are equal, are one. Now, this is what Venkatavatta said to Mahaprabhu. When Mahaprabhu was trying to convince him, Krishna is better than Narayan. Now, why Lakshmi wanted to leave Narayan and join Krishna and Rasa Lila? Mm, there is something in my Krishna that there is not in your Narayan. <laughs> Mahabra was joking with Venkatabhata, but he was, I mean, Katabhata replied, Narayan and Krishna are one in Tattva. Oh, that's mentioned in Bhaktarasam Sindhu. But in Rasa, in terms of the relishment in the relationship, Krishna has some certain qualities that are not even present in Narayan, for example. Rupa Uswai mentions them, Rupa Madhurya, Benu Madhurya, and so on. But at the end of the day, according to the samskars or impressions that every devotee has received in Sadhu Sangha, that will take those devotees to feel this is the best. And that's what Krishna Daskaras what Swami says in Krishna Chaitanya Charitam. He says, every devotee feels that their relationship with Krishna is the best. And then he says, and everyone is correct. <laughs> No? So that kind of harmonizes all these like sectarian ra racist battles of like, because many times it's most our ego getting in the way, wanting to be the best because I belong to the most exclusive party that points to the highest thing. But what's the highest thing? What's the first book of the Gaudiya Sampradaya? Brihad Bhagavatamrita. The main character Brihad Bhagavatamrita is not in Manjariba. So Sanatana Goswami is making a strong point. I mean, he could have made his whole book with some manjari there, but he chose a Priyanarma Saka to make the point there's place for all this. No? And as I say, say always, even if in the in the pursuit of Sakyabab that Gopakumar has, he meets so many devotees on his way, and he's appreciating everyone. He's not saying, ah, these are so inferior. Shiva is so inferior. Pandavas, oof, no, and these guys here in Dwark, and he's totally charmed by it. Eventually, he finds some further call, but he really appreciates them. No? Like when he meets with Hanuman, I always share this part since you mentioned Hanuman also. And Gopa Kumar meets Hanuman. So you have here the meeting of a Sakya Bhakta and a Dasya Bhakta. One worships Krishna, one worships. Ram. So one may think, oh, they will have a problem. They will start to fight and they will try to convince each other. And, no, nothing like that. Actually, what, what, what Gopakumar told Hanuman is, was, please sing the glories of your Lord. Because he knew, I mean, both, of, both are the same Lord. Your Lord, my Lord, is our Lord. <laughs> but he asked Hanuman, sing the glories of Sri Ram. So Hanuman, of course, 
didn't have any problem to do that. <laughs> he started to sing and glorify Sri Ram. Mm -hmm. And at the end, Gopa Kumar says, as a re reply to that prayer, said, Jai Sri Krishna. Mm -hmm. So he felt nourished in his own faith for Krishna by hearing Hanuman's glorification of Ram. And then Hanuman told Gopa Kumar, please glorify your Istadev, your Prabhu, Madan Gopal. So Gopa Kumar starts to do Nam Sankirtan of his favorite names of Krishna. And at the end, Hanuman said, Jai Sri Ram. <laughs> no? So you, you get my point. Both understood we are talking about the same person. But when I witness your perspective, that nourishes my perspective. That's the perfection of interfaith dialogue. That's my experience when I have these dialogues that I'm having with Christian monks and Sufi practitioners. In my podcast all this month, I've been inviting people from other traditions. And I, every time I end up the episode, I feel more inspired in my Gaudiya faith. It's not a... Oh, I'm confused now. I'm disturbed. My face is going somewhere else. No, if, if both of us are in the proper place, we will be nourishing each other, and we will understanding the cent our center is the common center is the same. So, when we see this type of things that you have probably witnessed, it's more has to do with some lack of maturity. Not to condemn them, also, it's just. Can I have a point to that? Yes, of course. Because, uh, <coughs> with, uh, with regards to the, this whole Rasa topic, I think what ends up happening very quickly because of our nature, because Rasa is something that is generally also translated as to be tasted, as to experience, and then very quickly, very quickly goes as to kind of like enjoy mm -hmm. in a transcendental mellow. And because there is this kind of hierarchy mm. in the rasas, there's always this feeling of um, wanting to experience what appears to be the highest, what is the most relishable. So I'm sometimes thinking to myself, then um, uh, <coughs> I ask the question, what would you like to be in Goloka Vrindavan, a tree or you know, a manjari, right? And for the conditioned mind, it's like, well, I hope I don't get a tree to be a tree. <laughs> but the, 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 point, the whole point is also, from another perspective, it's all about the amount of self-sacrifice, which is connected to that rasa. So in our conditioned state, it's almost impossible not to kind of like have that, I am the, in, how am I going to enjoy it type of feeling with it, but to which extent am I able to 100% self-sacrifice mm -hmm. in that? And that's like, mm. um, uh, yeah, I think that's an important point. Are, are we actually ready, mm. ready for that amount of self-sacrifice? Mm. Mm. We can even say why we call higher rasas, because the mood of self-sacrifice is actually increasing. Exactly. There's a beautiful thing. There is a, a bhakta 
going to meet Tulsidas, who is a famous Ram Bhakta, a Krishna Bhakta. They have maybe some tendency to preach, I don't know. And he told Tulsidas, look, we know it's the same moon. It's always the same moon, but the moon has faces. And you know, there's half moon, there's empty moon, there's full moon. We know it's the same moon. And Ram is considered the moon at the 12th day. So, you know, the opulence Ram is expressing is like the moon on the 12th day. And the devotee of Krishna said, look, but Krishna is like the full moon. Here God manifests all his qualities, like you mentioned. And Tulsidas embraces this Ram Bhakta and says, thank you so much. You increased my faith to Ram million times because I thought Ram is just a king somewhere. And I loved him so much. Whenever I heard about him, I was ready to give everything to him. And now you coming and saying, it's God. Thank you so much. So this is a very interesting way, you know, that's any information you get is just increasing your own love. Yeah. Yeah. And in the Bhagavatam, there's some pl many places which are very interesting. It's like Uddhava goes to Vrindavan and he sees persons who are really higher than his mood. He sees persons who are way beyond that, what he is considered the, considering the best and his. And the reaction, and this shows the non-envious of the eternal world. It's not says, you know, I, I think I have to change now, I, I will go there. This is not at all. It's never a question. He's, he's happy where he is eternally, but he can appreciate and worship that which is even beyond him. And this is what I really like. The tendency that you said in this world is, I get something better, I take that. Because there is no really faith in what I have. Hmm. But if there is really faith, then I can even, but from the Rasa point of view, something which is higher, mm -hmm. and Uddhava acknowledges it, Hmm. Akrura also has many examples <coughs> the queens of Mathura, the Mathura Ramanis. So there's many of these insights yeah. from persons who look at Brindavan and worship it, but they mm -hmm. stay where they are. Yeah. They but Uda remains with the He doesn't become behind in anything. He is, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the very idea of stai bhav. Now we are talking about rasa, and the first ingredient of the five of rasa is stai bhav. Stai means fixed. So you, you are fixing your bhav and your mood, and because you are totally satisfied there. But yeah, that's it. Help. Thank you. Okay. Do you have time for more questions? I don't know. You tell me. You should turn the fridge. Yeah, something. Ja, denkst du, ähm, es ist von vornherein festgelegt, 
welches Rasa, also ob ich jetzt Mangerie oder Sake oder so bin, ist das schon festgelegt oder wird das in den Inkarnationen, je nachdem, was, was, was du erleben darfst, verändert sich das oder ist das schon in Samen festgelegt? Do you think that this Rasa is like already there inherent? <lacht> <lacht> Now I know why you are laughing. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, she was asking the question and I saw Jogamaya smiling in a certain way that, it, that that made me suspect that the question is about what it actually was yeah. about. Or is it um, something that during different many lifetimes it's like for this was her question. <laughs> I, I've written a whole book about that. That's why I. It's not in German yet. Sorry. My feeling, you have changed so much since I read little parts of your first book. Okay. I read little parts of your second book. Oh, such a. For me, it was like the first book was very much for me intellectual uh -huh. this second book is now um, uh, more by from the soul from the heart mm. and i know that in your first book you wrote that is not inherent mm -hmm. and, and i just wanted to know if that changed oh, now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no i thank you thank you for the question because sometimes we can <clears throat> we may change certain opinions and things in time so i i appreciate your <laughs> inviting me to to be exposed to that to your particular and, and, and i and i also appreciate your distinction between how you perceive my first book and, and my second book and thank you and i agree in one sense the first book is more like philosophical and more scholar more and some i mean the, the subject in itself points in that direction I'm not saying it's better, worse is what it is. And, and the second one comes from a little bit different place. But yeah, going to your question, no, I didn't I haven't changed my my opinion in that connection. I mean all, all that I written in my first book, I still what is your opinion? You have to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> but basically my opinion is that Rasa is not inherent in the Jiva. Mm -hmm. Rasa, Bha, Prem, Siddha Bhakti. Uh, it's not inherent, but the jiva is uh, a unit of potential that, of course, can embrace bhakti, but there is not any particular predisposed uh, tendency there. And again, it's not so much, I try in my book to present not so much as my opinion, but I try to substantiate and show how Shastra repeatedly shows how bhakti is given, bhakti is received, um, Shastra speaks so many times about devotees not having bhakti, not having prem, not having rasa, not having, and how depending on the samskars acquired by sadhu sangha, one develops one affinity to another. And I know in our Gaudiya community, there are certain many, not many, but some, I don't know, many some, who may have a different opinion than mine. And again, I honor and respect that. I'm not here trying to fight with anyone. <laughs> But that's just my my opinion, my research, my presentation, and of course I'm open to talk about that more. But that's basically the idea. In reply to your question. Yeah. 
was für Erfahrungen oder Augenblicken, um das Rasen zu wechseln? Was siehst du denn da? What kind of experience you need to change the Rasa? Yeah, what, uh, is there certain circumstances of life or of karma which is presented to you that you will change? No, uh, no. no, no, because... But, but how do you listen to your Rasa if it's not inside of your... Uh, already inside of your seat? I mean, this, again... The, the scriptures say Brahmanda Brahmiti Kona Bhagyavan Jiva Guru Krishna Prasadi Pai Bhakti Lata Bish. You mentioned the word seed. Shasta say, by the mercy of Guru and Krishna, one receives the seed. <coughs> so if you receive the seed, it means it's not inherent in your in you. <coughs> and we develop a particular, I mean, by rasa, I, I mean I rasa, technically speaking, rasa is a combination of five things. Stai bab, anubab, bibab, satvik bab, and biabichari bab. So once you have the first ingredient of ras is stai bab. So stai bab means fixed mood. So in that following that, you cannot change rasa. Because the very the, the very first ingredient of rasa speaks about the fixed mood. So you cannot change that. So rasa is not changeable. I mean most of us, again, do have not reached that experience yet. So according to the association we have, we'll receive certain some scars, certain impressions that will make us inclined toward a particular mood of service. And eventually that will become our staiva. Dasya rati, sakyarati, madhurya rati. But what Shastra is saying is that that in inclination comes from the <clears throat> impressions we receive in Sadhu Sangha. Even if I have um, a millions of life and the Sadhu Sangha changes and there are other uh, impressions that I can also change rasa or not? <laughs> is that then fixed? You know, I, I, I just, if you say this is something which comes in Sadhu Sangha, there is this connection, you know. And uh, some maybe in a, in a in a thousands of lifetimes, I have been a very different sangha. And then, do I change or do I stay the same as I was in the first impact, as you say? Of course, I cannot tell where you have been in previous lives and things like this. <laughs> of course, nobody can. Yeah, but basically, the idea is if you receive certain sangha, you'll from the, of course, Sangha can be very global and you can have like 300 people in your mission. And I, here we are talking about those people that are the main influence in your life. Though you will receive certain bhakti scars, certain devotional impressions for that from those personalities. And in time, gradually, they will make you inclined toward a particular flavor. And naturally, that will make you become connected with sanghas that will naturally present that similar flavor basically i mean your question was if rasa was inherent or not yes so yes. i say so no that's my reply to your question yeah. and there's enough shastric proof again i don't want to torture you with quotes but one can do the research i mean one has to do that 
impartial research oneself. That's what Shastra says. Siddhanta valiya chitinakara lahs. No, one has to consider it Siddhanta and one shouldn't be lazy in that exercise. One should study and properly ascertain all these truths. For ending yeah. that is, um, <coughs> can you say um, today is Lalit Ashtami, Saptami, yeah. and sometimes when we hear about Shimati Radhika or Lalita Devi, it's something so special because we try to connect with an eternal individuality in the spiritual world. And sometimes I see it's interesting for devotees, but, you know, then there is the astrological chart coming and still it's, it becomes more interesting for oneself very quickly mm. than really the the connection with an eternal being. So maybe can you share something? What is your approach um, to connect to eternal personalities in the spiritual world? Mm -hmm. That really they become real for you. Mm. I want to hear from you first. <laughs> What's your approach? <laughs> if I can ask. <laughs> for me there's something that you spoke in the morning one of the qualifications for Raganuga Bhakti is that really I consider them real and we spoke about them that this is not symbolic and this is not just uh, mythological that really there is a a faith somehow maybe come becoming by mercy that one knows they're eternally there they're real mm -hmm. like at one point in one in one's life one knows krishna is re is real is really there so also the inhabitants and for me it's always it's a life of prayer, you know, slowly approaching them and hearing about, reading about, reflecting, and also getting in an interaction, in a prayer interaction. And then it starts to feel, you know, they're more tangible, that really they're, they're here. Mm -hmm. So it's like a a slowly revelation process that I feel can happen now in while praying. Mm. Thank so you. Now <laughs> yes, well, basically, for me, we're in line with what you are mentioning, no? this idea that we are attempting to develop a relationship, and any relationship takes time. Uh, it's not that okay i have your my relationship with lalita in, in one second or in one weekend or in one year or one lifetime it doesn't work like that so and, and it but it starts where, wherever we are now what what i can do to to begin my relationship project how can i start to 
connect with that figure, that personality in some way that is real for me also not to also enter into not not also, not only not to imagine that they are something they are not but also not imagining that i am something that i'm not because i also can force okay i'm already there or i'm whatever closer than what i am actually are so trying to be realistic about where i am and as you mentioned not trying to remind myself these are the most real people <laughs> if there is something real our, these personalities are the most real thing that ever can ever exist so and as you mentioned from that place on just try to understand this is a conceive my own practice as a development of a, of a relationship i think that's at least for me that helps me a lot like so what's the bhakti practice for you an ongoing developing of relationship and it never ends actually <laughs> you, you it never ends you can always relate deeply to each one of these personalities even if you are in the spiritual world the relationship continues developing it's not like okay now i'm here i have prem we know each other that's it <laughs> it's an ongoing unfolding of relationality so for me it's very healthy to to think of this as something ongoing also not something like okay i have no relationship but someday i will have relationship and that's it but no it's an ongoing reciprocation as you mentioned and and i appreciate what you mentioned about prayer and how if one is honest about prayer the the reciprocity starts to happen it's not just me trying to but it's a dialogue no? which is so important to understand prayer properly no? and, and just not make it a monologue so to say like I remember Saint Teresa de Avila she will say that most people have difficulty with prayer because they pray as if God does not exist <laughs> they don't have they don't include the other part of the equation so, so it's just like shouting at the wall or something like that it's not working it's not working it's not working but when you open yourself to okay there is someone else and that someone else is the most real person and is willing to reciprocate so i have to be willing to receive that okay relationship starts to unfold and yeah thank you for the invitation mm -hmm. the question <clears throat> Wish one more question we conclude with this one so it's yeah. not so late for tomorrow and so on yeah i i had thoughts on her question and because this topic is also like um beschäftigt what, what is beschäftigt is occupy no not occupying i'm also um dealing with that issue and I heard um, it, it makes on one side it makes sense to me that bhakti is obtained by Guru and Krishna and but also the those uh, questions or those points uh, make the 
arguments in oneself that like, oh, I have now this Sangha and this Sangha and is this forming my Swarup and my my study path? And um, I heard I could come to a conclusion um, from the thoughts of Prem Priyochan. And he was like uh, telling like um, the taste for a study path. That is like a fix that we uh, we react to a certain sangha. That so many sanghas can come, but uh, there is not like a magnetic attraction. And um, so I think like uh, this answers also this um, follow up. Um, or follow-up questions like, okay, now I'm in so many sanghas, which sangha will define my swarup? Actually, it's also like I have a taste for a certain rasa and that makes a, a connection between sangha and me. And also today I had this thought like, um, we were discussing Vibhuti Yoga and uh, everywhere it said like, uh, Krishna is that in that uh, subject or uh, in Bhagavad Gita Krishna says I am the tasting water and also in soul uh, and the soul is not mentioned in those listings so I think like also um, that's the conclusion that Krishna is the taste in the soul uh, that is also like inherent the taste for a specific rasa and um, also another thought I had. Krishna is forgetfulness and remembrance as well. Yes, yes, that's the point. Like, okay, Krishna knows, um, like, my rasa or my taste for a rasa is fixed. So, and since Krishna also knows past, present, and future, he will know where I will be in the future. So, actually, my, my taste for a rasa is also already there, although not obtained. But since he knows what is going to be in future, he will know on what uh, style path I will react or on what sangha I will find my taste. That's my thought I had, um, basically inspired by Prem Prayojan. But I, I had another question, like uh, the topic um, Francisca brought uh, yesterday about like, what do we control? And uh, I wanted to ask, um, it's, it's logic to me that we don't control anything, even the opinion we have right now are actually not our own opinion, which I built by my own control. It's a product of my influence and the product of my samskaras, but is, that how I see myself is that under my control like I see myself as a servant of the Lord or I want to see myself as 
that person as that condition of nature is that what i control myself i'm not sure if i understood the question <laughs> um the, the point francisca brought up is like what what is under our control what mm -hmm. do we control mm. and uh is and it's clear to me that we don't control actually anything also that like i'm having a free will it's actually not a free will it's also when i make a decision it's based on my We could say, I mean, we, we, free will, technically speaking, we have only free will when we are free, <laughs> when we are enlightened. You know, we have conditioned will. So it's not, I would say, black and white, yes and no. No, it's just a gradual process of, of developing, of becoming free from limitation, free from illusion. So... In that sense, we could say the more we become free from illusion by the grace of bhakti, we can also exercise our will, our individuality, and choose, no? as you mentioned, to see ourselves in a particular way in service to Bhagavan. So, yeah, basically the reply will be brief, yes. <laughs> and thanks for your thoughts on the other topic as well. And it's almost one hour and a half, so and it's I will prefer to stop here so we can have rest and tomorrow Vadastami. Long day, beautiful long day. So hopefully to be all aligned in the symphony and for the service of Sri Radha. So we'll stop here. Sri Sachinandan Gor Hariki Jai Sri Harinam Prabhuki Jai Sri Sri Gor Gadadar Juki Jai Sri Sri Radha Govinda Juki Jai Sri Lalita Saptamiki Jai Gor Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai Gor Primananda Mancha Kalpataru Vista Kripasanu Vyevacha Padita Nam Pavane Pio Vaishnava Pionamonama Ananta Koti Vaishnava Vrinda Ki Jai Gor Hari Gor Mm-hmm.